Happy fall. Nobody's excited that it's fall? I mean, you can actually dress like it's fall now, right? It's going to be 82 tomorrow. That's great. That's phenomenal. Hey, let me tell you, the last couple of weeks, we have had a lot of exciting things going on Sunday to Sunday here at First Baptist with, with uh, an opportunity to, to welcome Pastor Darius and Nympha and Priscilla uh, and, and to, to shower them with love. I want to thank you for the, the way you poured out to them and came and, and have food and all this stuff. And then last week with our celebration of nations, um, I hope that you ate something that you've never tried before. Because I know we're Baptist and we, we put out a little Baptist uh, covered dish spread and we all know that we're going to go for the fried chicken. We're all going to go for like the broccoli casserole and we're all going to get some corn and green beans, right? But I, I hope last week that you might have tried some of the curried goat that we had or some of the uh, the, the, the Ghanaian uh, rice jollof. Man, that, it was phenomenal. No? Hey, but how about this? We got to celebrate the goodness of our God and our church and, and what God has done in bringing together a diverse family of believers. And we here are bent on how we will seek to make disciples, to reach our community, to build families in different ways, in new ways. We'll find ways that don't work. We'll find ways that do work all for the glory of God because we are seeking to see his glory resound across all of Fairburn. And these last couple of weeks, they have been absolutely phenomenal. So here's some good news for you. I'm going to stick to the outline and PowerPoint. So uh, uh, working the sound booth and computer up there, thank you. Uh, you'll be able to just kind of click through and I don't have to throw you off. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 today. And we're going to be looking at what's one of my favorite passages to talk about, one of my favorite passages to walk through and to look through and, and to just kind of explain and, and look and just see, see all of the goodness of God because it takes us a little further down the line of how we bear the image of God. Do we have, is the PowerPoint not working? There it is. It is working. Okay, good. All right. I just wanted to make sure because, you know, I want you to know how to fill in the blanks because somebody will come up to me later. And only one person asked me for the blanks from last week that y'all didn't get. So I, my feelings weren't really hurt. But still, if you want them, I can send them to you. Um, they, they were so much not hurt I mentioned it today. Um, so G Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. If you found your place in the Word of God, let me ask you to stand with me as we read these uh, eight verses together, 18 to 25, uh, finishing up Genesis chapter 2 today. It says this, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle, and the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man and he slept and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. And for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word. We do thank you that you are the Lord, our God, the one who reigns, the one who has offered us grace and mercy and peace and joy because you have offered us life everlasting when we professed faith in the name of your son, in his death, in his resurrection, in who he is, the eternal word, Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, to know that we will never see the end of the days that we praise you. Lord, I pray that you would help that to resound in our hearts now. As we look at your word, as we look at what it means to follow you, as we look at what it means that you made us and create us and you sustain us, that we would be able to say, oh Lord, our God, with joy. Be with us now. Teach us your word. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, so last week, we talked a little bit about what it means to be made in the image of God. We, we are put here to represent him and to rule, to have dominion, to subdue the earth, to fill it, to, to multiply, to, to live in the world that God made as his representative and, and, and to, to exercise authority over all that he created. Well, well, today we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at the sixth day of creation. Some will submit to you that Genesis chapter two stands apart from Genesis chapter one. And some will try to convince you that two different people wrote these stories and we've got to figure out which one's right and which one's not. I submit to you that they are both the direct picture that God intended for us to know. And that chapter two is a little bit better, better as a little bit kind of tuned in picture of what day six in chapter one was. Chapter one gave us the big overview, but chapter two draws us into what it means to be image bearers of our God. It's kind of like a, a, a few years ago, before the Congress of the United States of America decided that it had to be the law that we all had HDTV. It's kind of like when you were watching CBS on the, on the regular TV and then you flipped it over to an HD. You're like, oh man, that's a little bit clearer. That's a little bit brighter. That's a little bit, yeah, I can see that. That's what we're gonna be looking at with Genesis chapter two. So we, we've got six statements we're gonna cover and then we're gonna connect those to our hearts a little bit and see what they mean for us as we walk in 2000. 2018. Because, because I, I've been here for almost a year and a half now. Um, I know time's flown and y'all just think I just got here yesterday. That's great. You know, uh, I love y'all too. But it's been almost a year and a half and, and, and I've been watching and I've been and building relationships and, and connecting with people. And so, so I'm convinced now more than ever that my, my big task for the next 18 months from now until June of 2020 is that my big task is to draw us back into what it means to be on mission. And, and what I mean by that is we, we tend to, as a church, and this isn't just First Baptist Church of Fairburn, this is pandemic of church life in America, we tend to operate on the come and see principle. They know that we're located, people know that we have church services, so y'all just come and see what we're all about. But the command of scripture wasn't come and see, it was go and tell, the command of scripture was to step off of the property. The command of scripture was to step out of the regular walk of life into the life of someone else, into the path of someone else for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So for the next year and a half, recapturing that mission field is going to be primary. And guess what? This passage actually talks about that. 
We actually can apply what we just read in Genesis chapter 2 to this idea that we've got to step beyond the average and ordinary into a new pattern of life, a new mentality, a new way of thinking about who we are in Christ because of how he made us to begin with. But before we get there, let's start. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. God makes a statement regarding the condition of man. God makes this statement regarding the condition of man. He's looking at his creation. He's looking at this one that he says, this one's in my image. This is the one, the man that I said, I'm going to make in my image. This is him, but he's alone. And that's not good. And all the married man said, yep, that's right. Wasn't good for us to be alone. All the married women said, you better believe you can't leave my husband alone. Yeah. He said, it's not good for the man to be alone. This is one of the reasons I believe we're looking a little bit closer at day six instead of just a completely separate piece of the picture. Because on day six, we get to the very end of day six in Genesis chapter one, verse 31, it says this. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Day one, God saw what he made. It was good. Day two, everything was good. Day three, everything was good. Day four, everything was good. Day five, making the animals, it was good. Day six, making more animals and making male and female, both image bearers of our God. And he said, it is very good. But he's looking at this man by himself and says, no, sir, this isn't good. We haven't gotten to very good because it was just the man. God had given us a responsibility as male and female, as his image bearers to represent him, to rule the earth, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to multiply, to do all these things. And God said, it's not good for you to be alone. You you can't do, man, what I've called you to do by yourself. It's not good for you to be alone. So because God sees this, he says, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to make a suitable helper for this man. Now, before we start getting kind of caught up on what that term means and looking at it like, well, I'm nobody's helper. I'm, I'm my own person. Let, let's look and see what God's actually describing here. We, we, we live in, in a hypersensitized culture, right? Where, where we don't just listen to words and take words at their face value, meaning we are all, every one of us are guilty of trying to say, well, why did he say it that way? Why does she look at me that way? What, what's going We always try to find the ulterior motive behind something, but let's just take it face value for a second. God has said that this man has a responsibility to represent him, to rule over the earth, but he also said, you've got to multiply and fill the earth. Can man multiply by himself? I know a lot of men that can't operate a calculator by themselves. How are they going to multiply and fill the earth? They can't fill a pantry. They can't fill a refrigerator. They can't fill a lot of things. They can fill a gas tank and they can fill uh, their their calendar full with all kinds of stuff, but they can't do the things that God has designed them to do by themselves. It's not good for man to be alone. I'm gonna make one that is suitable for him, one that corresponds to him, one that he could uniquely relate to. And that's why in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, it says, so God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. 
Man, you've got to have someone that also represents God, someone that's also placed here to subdue, to, to rule the earth as God designed, one that has the image of God on them, and that is a female. It's not good for man to be alone. But before God makes this, he gives Adam a little visual exercise. See, this is one of the cool things about God. Men, we need somebody to show us something, right? We, we need somebody to, to, to map it out on a piece of paper. We need somebody to show us the design. We need somebody to demonstrate it for us. That's why we go to, all, even in your workplace, that's why you go to all these demonstrations of how these things work and how these things operate because, because we need somebody to kind of walk us through this. God's sitting there and says, man, it's not good for man to be alone. So he gives Adam an opportunity to exercise dominion, to start this path that God has designed him for and has set him on. And so Adam exercises dominion by naming the, name, naming the animals. He says in verse 19, out of the ground of the earth, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. See, one of the first steps of dominion and subduing and ruling is the ability to name. It was uniquely placed in our responsibility as image bearers of God to rule and represent God, but we start that by having the ability to name. We try to exercise dominion over one another by establishing names and establishing classes. Let me give you an example of this. We're in an election year, right? We've got to find a new governor for the state of Georgia because we have term limits and it's time for uh, Governor Deal's term to be ended and he can't run for another term, I guess, and here he's decided not to. But we've got two primary candidates, do we not? We have Stacey Abrams and we have Brian Kemp. Now, let me show you how each one of these candidates has tried to exercise dominion and show the power of giving a name. What do you hear from Brian Kemp about Stacey Abrams? Stacey Abrams is too extreme for Georgia, right? That's the name extremist. Stacey Abrams, she's too extreme for Georgia. Well, what do you hear from Stacey Abrams about Brian Kemp? Brian Kemp can't be trusted. She's given him the name of untrustworthy. And it carries, if you don't believe it carries, you go back and you look at the rhetoric that was used politically in the 2016 election around Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It was always, remember, remember in the campaign speeches, now President Trump was always talking about crooked Hillary Clinton. You see that? He, he gave a name. That is an exercise of dominion. When you can name something, when you can establish an identity for something, that is an exercise of dominion. And we have corrupted that. We'll get to why we've corrupted it next week when we start talking about Genesis chapter three. But Adam takes the first step in dominion and has, takes the first step in exercising dominion and saying, this is the name of this animal. Now, I have no idea, none whatsoever, how Adam looked at that thing and said, well, that looks like a horse to me, so I'm gonna call it a horse. I mean, a horse is a horse, of course. Of course, right? <laughs> that one over there, that one looks like a cow. So I'm gonna call it cow. That's a brown cow. How now, brown cow? We'll call that one over, a, that, that one's a bear right there. This poor helpless thing, that's gotta be a bulldog. <laughs> oh, 
kidding. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I joke. I joke. Y'all can get me back in a couple weeks because we're going to lose to y'all. I don't know how he did it. And I know some people will try to say, well, well, God didn't know what to make for Adam. So he made these things and he started putting all these. And, and this shows that Genesis 2 is out of line with Genesis chapter 1. No, it doesn't. Look with me in Genesis chapter 2. It says right there that out of the ground, the Lord God formed. The best way to understand that phrase and the tense that the Hebrew uses of formed right there is in the past perfect. Otherwise, it should be the way it should be written is the Lord God had formed. He had already done it. He had already created all these animals. He did it on day five and he did it on the first part of day six before out of the dust of the earth, he swooped down and made that man. He had already made the dogs and the wolves and the, and the cows and the sheep and the, and, the, and the whales and the horses and all of the beasts of the field, the bears and the goats and the lions and the tigers and the elephants and the dress. He had already done all this. And then he says, man, show me what you're made of. Show me how you can exercise what I have put you here to do. Man, sometimes God does that today. He puts you in a place where he says, show me what I put you here to do because I've called you to do something exercise the dominion that I have given you and Adam's sitting there looking at all these things going okay goat sheep buzzard all these different things but then Adam recognizes something Adam recognizes that every single one of these animals have something have one that corresponds to them but he does not Adam recognizes his incomplete status notice with me if you will in the text the name, the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Adam's looking and he's realizing, God, you have placed me in this position. You have given me this task, but, but I, there's not one for me. There's not one like me. I know some of you try to relate to your dogs and your cats as, you know, can be a little disturbing at times. You treat your animals better than you treat your kids. I'm just saying. I saw a lady the other day pushing a dog in a stroller. And I asked her, does your dog have a broken leg? She said, no, he just likes to ride this way. What? Meanwhile, she's dragging her kid on a leash. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I did youth ministry when I was in college. I had a girl that was, she was a 12th grader. She would carry a dog to church in her pocket. And then for Christmas, her mom gave her this $385 bag to wear on her shoulder with a window on the front for her dog to look out. That's not right. Not right. It is okay to love animals. It is okay to have pets. It's okay to be sad when those pets pass away. But those pets are not surrogate relationships for the unique communion that God designed for us to have. And Adam's looking at this incompleteness and he says, look, there's not one for me, God. You called me to exercise me. You called me to multiply. You called me to subdue. I cannot do this. That's a good boy. Here's your treat. Dog joke. It was a bad one, but it was there. So God caused the deep sleep to fall on the man. 
See, that, that, that term suitable helper, it's, it's not a secondary. It is an equal image bearer of God, one that would uniquely relate in a correspondingly different way. In a beautiful way. In a way that we need to fulfill what God has called us as his image bearers to do. So God creates him a suitable helper. God creates Adam a suitable helper. And he says, he caused the deep sleep to fall on the man. He slept and he took one of the ribs and then closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. Oh, I want you to, I want you to capture this image. See, in chapter two, verse seven, it says that the Lord God got down there and he's dusted up some of the dust of the earth. And with his hands, like a kid playing with Play-Doh, like a, somebody, a potter, master potter, making something out of clay, he formed and he fashioned into what he had designed as a man. And then he took that man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into him and gave him something that was unique to everything that was created. It wasn't just, let me tell you you're alive. Let me give you life for me, the author of your life. And then he said, I'm gonna take out of your... Women, this is why you're prized and cherished. We were made out of dirt. You were made out of something else. He took that rib and out of that rib, he said, I'm going to make a woman. I'm going to make someone suitable, a, a, a co-image bearer suitable for this man that I've made. And I'm going to close up that rib and I'm going to, and I know some of you men, yep, she's been a pain in my ribs ever since. No, that's not what God did. That's not at all what God did. He gave her the same breath that he gave you. He gave her the same dignity that he gave you. He gave, you, gave her the same honor that he gave you of being made uniquely in his image with the ability and the responsibility to relate to him, to represent him, to rule for him, but to do so in the union that he has provided for us. It says that he fashioned into the woman the rib which he had taken from the man. Man, I wish I could have been there that day. I, I wish I could have been there that day to see the joy on the face of God as he's making his image bearers for the first time. I wish I could have been there to see how God was, was instructing Adam on the, the, the way that this relationship would work and how you would together work and, and how you would pour into and follow him and be the one that, image, that, that bears the image of God. But here's the cool thing. Adam gets it. Adam gets it. Adam understands the special creation of Eve. Look at what it says there in verse 23. When, in verse 22, it says he, 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 he did this and he brought the woman to the man. In verse 23, it says, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She's gonna be called woman because out of man she was taken. See, it's, it's the ish taken out of the isha. Isha is the, is the Hebrew word used here for man and ish is the Hebrew word used for, for woman. So out of ish was, out of isha became the ish. But I mean, I, I love this picture. You remember watching Bugs Bunny? Bugs Bunny, I think, captures what happens here. 
because it never failed. Anytime Bugs Bunny would see the female rabbit, I don't know how he'd do it, but he'd kind of levitate. He'd kind of go like Superman like this. And he's looking ahead and his eyes pop huge and his mouth drops and he's like, whoa! Adam looks at this woman and says, finally, and it's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a term of derogatory. It's not a term of, of making an object out of this woman. It is the full recognition of the complementarian view of the woman that this one com- is, is complementary to me. This one is one that completes me. This is one that is made like me, that looks like me, that I can relate to, that is a uniquely for me. She was taken from me and she is now mine to have and to behold. She, we are together going to cooperate as the image bearers of God. And he understands that above everything else that was made, this one was special and different, just like him. Just like him. Not above him, not beneath him. Beside him, together as an image bearer of God. It says in verse 24, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed this is the sanctioning of the marital union of a husband and a wife a male and a female a man and a woman uniquely together bonded and he uses a term there he says that they shall be joined in as one flesh you know what happens if you cut your leg off it hurts there's catastrophic damage to, to, to remove the leg at this point right here requires such precision that your body never fully gets over it. You might be able to limp along and survive, but your body never fully gets over it. But the one thing you cannot do is divide your body from head to foot right down the middle and survive. You just cannot. And the design here is that the man and the woman come together and are fused and united together forever. And I understand that's not always the case. I understand that sometimes that fusion never happens properly. I understand that we bring a lot of ourselves into relationships and there are issues that come up. And this is not a statement of, well, you, you, no, no. What we're looking at is what God's word gave for us initially. And we'll work through some of the other outcomes of Genesis 3 in response to that later. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to apply it. We're going to connect all this truth right to our heart because it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out into the heart that the word of God goes in and seeps down and creates this fertile bed of growth and righteousness and spiritual union for for him. And so we have here in this passage of scripture three things, I believe, of where we can apply these things and as we walk together with him. First is this, you will not find fulfillment outside of God's provision you're not going to find fulfillment outside of God's provision. Adam's there in the garden with a command. He's there in the garden, I believe, with the right mentality, a heart that is nowhere near being encumbered by sin the way that ours is, but without the proper provision of God to fulfill what he was called to do. And we live in such a a, a world and a a society bent so much on personal fulfillment that we're given every other opportunity to find fulfillment and to self-fulfill that are ways outside of what God has provided for us. 
See, Adam is given the opportunity here to name and to exercise dominion, but he does not take fulfillment in them. Notice he does not take fulfillment in his job. Did you catch that one? Your job may be fulfilling, but it is not to be the source of your fulfillment. It is not to be the root of where you find your worth and your identity. It's not to be there. He didn't find fulfillment in the other aspects of God's creation. God created this world for us to enjoy, but we are not to find our fulfillment in that. But aside from there, we tow this dangerous line as a people of seeking our gratification and our fulfillment outside of the God-sanctioned provision of our marriage, of our relationships. This isn't just about sex, although that does does provide opportunity there. But I know a lot of men that find relational fulfillment in in other mutual relationships with other men that they don't disclose to their wives. They, they have their, their boys, the men, they get together and they engage and they have man talk and, they, you know, and they're seeking relational fulfillment that they're not providing to their wife nor are they drawing from their wife. I know women that go and have, have the talk with the girls and they have their girl time and they get their nails done and their hair done and all these things, they do all these, they go on shopping sprees, they go on vacations, but they're not investing the heart of their relationship into their marriage. And so far, their marriage is falling apart and there's not that unity because they're seeking fulfillment outside of what God has provided. We do it with kids, we do it with work. And you say, well, I'm not married. Okay, that's fine. I completely understand that, that not everybody in this room is married. What has God provided for you in your life now where you can find fulfillment mostly because of him? It, it's not going to be in substance. It's not going to be in, in society. It's going to be in the unique ability to relate to God and be fulfilled by his provision in your life. And that might be for this phase and this time in your life. It might be a good female friend for the ladies, a good male friend for the men. It might be uh, fulfillment in what God has provided for your function and your ability to serve in the local church. But primary has to be the provision of Christ Jesus in you. Second, you're not gonna find fulfillment outside of God's intention. You're not gonna find fulfillment outside of God's intention. He says there, it's not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make for him a helper suitable for him. And then he says, the Lord fashioned into the woman, the rib that he had taken from the man, brought her to the man. And he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There are a lot of places that we could take this intention. So let's just start, let's start at the top and just kind of work our way, way down. What was our intention as people? To represent God. To exercise dominion over creation. To know him. We try to find fulfillment in so many other exterior places that we're not seeking it in what God had designed for us to do. It is okay to have a job. It's good to have, trust me, if, it was, if, if I believed it wasn't okay to have a job, I wouldn't have one. I wouldn't be here. I know what I'd be doing. Begging for money somewhere probably. 
I don't want to be here. It's good to have a job. It's good to work. It's good to provide your needs. But what's the intention? What's the intention? Parents, I need you to, especially parents of, of our youth age kids, as your kid, as your child gets into high school, you're going to be prone to give them some of the worst advice you will ever give them. And that's going to be, you need to go to this kind of college to get this kind of degree, to get this kind of job, to have this kind of money, and to be able to have this kind of life. It's okay to have a good degree. It's okay to go to a good college. But the nature of that type of advice is devoid of the intention of God for your child. I believe we want what's good for our children, but I believe God has what's best for our children. The intention that God may have for your child could be completely separate from where you're trying to direct your child to go. What you're trying to say, and you want your kids to, and it, it, it's, it's sad, but I'm gonna call it what it is. This is the way we've operated in the church for the last 100 years or more. I know it was my experience. I've talked with parents who have in, in, in recent years been counseling their children the same direct way and they, and, and they get flustered and upset. And, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to make anybody mad. I'm trying to help you to see that there's an intention beyond what we oftentimes exercise. And so you get that child that's finished with college and has these student loans and is trying to pay them off and is in this job and they're not quote unquote fulfilled. Why? Because they've been steered by mom and dad away from God's intention. You're not going to find fulfillment outside of God's intention. You're just not. You're not going to find fulfillment in your marriage outside of God's intention. You're like, well, what was God's intention? Yeah, have kids. Be fruitful and multiply. That's part of it. But to represent God. Some of the happiest couples I've ever known in church in my entire life are those that are serving God hand in hand, arm in arm, week in and week out together. Not, well, she does her thing over here and I do my thing over there. Or we show up just on Sunday. If you're just showing up together on Sunday morning, that's half the battle, but that's the losing half of the battle. Because it steps beyond. It's not just, remember, it's not just come and see, it's go and tell. It's not just, well, we showed up, we did our church thing, let's just go. No, it's about how we come together and through our marriages, through our relationships, exercise God's intention for us to representatively rule him and to demonstrate the great rule of Christ Jesus. And we only do that if we fulfill our intention here. So, so, so we, we can even pull that into church. If we, First Baptist Church of Fairburn, are a diverse family of believers that are seeking to make disciples, build families, um, glorify God and reach our community in ways that stretch beyond age, ethnicity, and status, that can't just be something that the wife does or something that just the husband does or just something that we outsource for Charlie or for, for Jacob to do with our kids. It's something that we've got to step into together. And if we're single, we've got to step into with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're married, we're to step in with our single counterparts, brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk with them as we seek to reach beyond. So it comes back to how we sow, know, grow, and go. We sow because we want people to hear the gospel. We come together, we worship because we want to know him more. We grow in our relationships together and our relationship with God and our understanding of him, his power, and his glory so that we will go 
that we will step forward. That's the intention. And if we're not using our, 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 ourselves and leveraging ourselves, our marriages, our, our parent-child relationships, our friendships in such a way that we fulfill what God's intention was for us to begin with, then we failed. We're, and, and we're going to struggle to find fulfillment. And so we're going to run to whatever will scratch the itch because we're trying to find that next thing that will medicate what's missing. Because we want, we want to be fulfilled. We, we want to find that fulfillment. But we're not going to if we're seeking opportunities outside of what God's intention was. See, that's why I place a lot of stress, especially in premarital counseling, on verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, the hardest thing to do in a marriage is to please your in-laws. One of the hardest things is to please your in-laws. But you notice in that passage of scripture it never says anything about pleasing your in-laws. It says, leave your father and mother and become one flesh. Establish a new unit. I've talked with men and women struggling in their marriages because in-laws are calling the shots. They're not finding fulfillment. That's not God's intention. God's intention was not in-laws call the shots. Yes, honor your father and mother, and that is a lifelong command. But honor your father and mother does not mean, hey, leave the wife of your youth, leave the husband of your youth for the whims and the sake of your parents. That's not God's intention. Adrian Rogers once said, the reason daughters-in-law and mother-in-law have so much problem is because there's two women in love with the same man. Two women in love with the same man. You can't please your in-laws. So don't try. Please God. Please God. Third, you will not find fulfillment outside of God's Redeemer. You're not going to. Deeply embedded within this passage, and we'll see it come to light a little bit more next week, but deeply embedded is the whole idea of the man and the woman coming together in a marital union and out of the marital union coming the, 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 the children fulfill the command to subdue the earth, multiply and fill the earth. And out of the seed of this woman was going to come the redeemer. Oh, Jesus Christ is the only one that can fulfill you. You can try it in relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. You remember the woman at the well in John chapter four? That's what she was doing. She had already been married five times. Jewish law prohibited her from being married a sixth time. So she was living with the guy and Jesus calls her out on it. And says, you've been trying to find fulfillment in all of these relationships. So much so that now you're outside of the law and you've just got to live with this guy, which you obviously know is a violation of the command not to commit adultery. But here you are when I'm the only one that can give you living water, water that will cause you to never thirst again. You know what she did? She did something pretty cool. She went and told her friends, hey, 
I think this is the Messiah we've been waiting for. He told me everything about my life. Come and see him with me. I believe that Jesus steps into our lives as God's redeemer, not just to offer this this nice, feel good about yourself fulfillment, but to quench the very thirst of your soul, which is the thirst for a redeemer. Because we all know we need something and Jesus is it. Whatever your sin is, whatever your struggle is, wherever your hole is, Jesus is there to fill it because you were made in the image of him who is the image of the invisible God, Christ Jesus. And you match him and you're made to relate to him. You're made to know him and your fulfillment will come as you say, look, sin aside, I'm coming to you because you will save me. So maybe this morning you need to come and receive this Jesus. Maybe this morning you're experiencing fulfillment because Christ has already captured your heart and he's already drawn you in and you need to make it known public that this is my savior, this is him. Maybe you've been seeking fulfillment outside of your relationship with Christ, outside of the way God had designed you and you're saying, you know what? I'm done with it. I'm coming to him. Come and see the one who offers true fulfillment.